0: From west to east, and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged, Connecting with What podcast. Yeah. with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello from the Diz 20th anniversary mega meet at Walt Disney World. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my good friend, co-host and producer Craig Williams. Craig, how are you doing on this celebratory week? For the I'm, Diz.
1: I'm doing absolutely great, Michael. Um, this it's actually the day we are recording this and releasing it. It is the official 20th anniversary of the Diz, so obviously couldn't be much more excited. Uh, the big, big party at Epcot tonight uh, with three hours of attractions, Jody Benson and. You know probably a few other surprises here and there, so uh, illuminations yeah illuminations oh, no showing of illuminations yeah food <laughs> i mean I, I along with everyone else i 'm just waiting to find out if we hit our goal of raising sixty thousand dollars with yes. this event because if we hit that sixty thousand mark, then that will push us over. Five hundred thousand dollars raised by the Diz and all the supporters, uh, all our supporters out there for Give Kids the World, which that means we're halfway to the the goal of one million. That's amazing. That yeah. is really amazing, and that's thanks to all the listeners. Yeah, no, it's. There. I mean. <laughs> remarkable yeah you know we we helped to set it up many people have helped with regional meets uh, throughout the years too just to to make a big difference but we we couldn't do any of this without you and uh, that's been part of the greatest thing of this week is just getting to to see all of our listeners come out here and, um, you know, not even people who are listeners, just fans of the Diz in general who have, have made their way out here for the event to to see what's happening this week, to donate, uh, donate items to our auction, which uh, will already be closed by the time this is released, so I'm sorry if you didn't get in on that, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, it's just been a fantastic week. Uh, Between the little meets we've been doing, we had a Connecting with Walt meet-up at the Magic Kingdom. We did.
0: We had a great time. We met up with, I I don't know how many, we didn't take a group photo. Yeah. I won't tell you what
1: Carol said to me when I mentioned that to her. (laughs) Um, We also, because I announced it on a, a Disney World edition show, that we would be doing it and I said what time we'd be doing it and where we would be doing it but I never said where we should meet up <laughs> so we had to play a little catch up on where everyone could find us but you know we ended up having a nice little group and uh we just bounced around from some of those classic uh Walt Disney World attractions that are no longer available at Disneyland
0: yeah we went well one is we went to the tiki room yep. and what is nice is that you know they're slightly different there's variations yeah. on what's at Disneyland and what's out here at the Magic Kingdom, which is true for most of the attractions, which makes going to both parks really special. We went over then the Country Bear Jamboree, yes, a, a very missed attraction over at Disneyland. We still have the bears walking around the park, but we don't have their attraction anymore. And then we went over on the People Mover yep. and saw what's left of Walt's model of what's supposed to be sitting here, Epcot. The city and then we finally went on Carousel of Progress. So we had a great time. We had it we it was just nice meeting all the listeners and sharing some stories about all of the attractions and just chatting.
1: Oh yeah, no, I, I think the highlight ended up actually being uh, country bear jamboree just because you know, no one was really against going into it but a lot of people hadn't done it in a while or weren't really fans before and i think we finally helped show a lot of people the way of the greatness that is the country bear jamboree
0: well what wasn't one of the listeners was sarah she'd never been on it yeah one of people
1: that was her first time i know that was insane yeah and and she (laughs) loved it and she said she couldn't wait to bring her kids on it too so um everyone out there if you didn't if you haven't given it a shot in a while give it another chance it is so funny it's such a great show. It is. It is. Even even if it's a little shorter yeah. than the original, it's still a fun show. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, everyone just cracks up when Big Al comes on. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, so so we're just so happy that we got to meet so many people. We have the big yeah. party tonight where we'll meet a lot of people. Of course, I'm also on our Disneyland show, and we had a meetup. Yeah. We were at One Man's Dream over at Disney Hollywood Studios. So, again, we had a really nice group. And we walked through One Man's Dream. I Again, I shared some uh, stories about some of the displays that are there. And then we saw the... Uh, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the film One Man's Dream. But we did get to see the preview for Cars 3. And as I said,
1: it's not Cars 2. It's no yeah.
0: Cars 2.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's a good way to put in yeah. it So uh, hopefully... I don't think there's any other big movies coming for a while after Cars 3 in the Disney realm, so maybe we'll get One Man's Dream back for just so. a little bit. Yeah, and, and I got arrested by stormtroopers
0: at the very end, so yeah. if you go on my Facebook page, there's a couple of videos that listeners took of my arrest and oh, eventual release.
1: Good. Yeah, I mean, uh, how else would you be here right now? So it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so. absolutely it has. Yeah.
0: Well, th- you might notice, hey, it's not July, <laughs> and it's not Friday. So, yeah, Craig and I, are uh, we're doing this when we get together. We always like to record live together in the same room, and we thought we would do a bonus edition for you, our faithful listeners. And Craig and I have frequently talked about some of our favorite Disney animated and live-action films, and that's why we're always excited when Turner Classic Movies announces its seasonal Treasures from the Disney Vault schedule. So, in the early years of the Disney Channel, uh, and I don't know if you remember those very early years, Craig, uh, the films and shorts from the Disney Vault were broadcast regularly, and... That's in the Disney Channel.
1: Oh, no. Was I, so good. <laughs> I, I remember Walt Disney. I remember yeah. staying up late for it to uh-huh. come on and the little TV logo with mm-hmm. it. I, I remember all of that. Yeah. So that's, that's how I was introduced to Mickey Mouse Club, Zorro, uh, a lot of those classics. Even just episodes of, um, you know, whether it was Walt Disney Presents or The Wonderful World of Color. Just whatever they were showing on there. Mm-hmm. So that was... Disney Channel was always a staple in my house, even back in the days when you had to pay for it. Right.
0: Oh, the minute it went on the air. Uh, Subscribe to it. Yeah. So, and, well, of course, now they're broadcast on Turner Classic Movie Channel. And Craig, can you tell us more about the relationship between the Walt Disney Company and Turner Classic Movies?
1: Yeah. So, uh, back in the uh, ripe old year, I believe, of 2014, it was announced that Turner Classic Movies and uh, the Walt Disney Company would be uh, coming together in a joint partnership for two reasons. The first reason was uh, the great movie ride would be getting a, a complete upgrade uh, not a complete upgrade in terms of animatronics and the new show scenes the stuff that we uh, you know <laughs> deep down fans of the great movie ride really really want but we got a new upgrade to the uh, the the pre-show area specifically so um, instead of showing the trailers from all of the the clips uh, or showing trailers from all of the the scenes that you go through in the great movie ride uh, it became more of a a, a a piece that a long piece of looking at different genres of movies that some of the scenes in the ride end up being in that section. And it's all hosted by Robert Osborne, of course, who is no longer with us. He passed away, uh, passed away very recently. Um, and, uh, so, you know, not, I I don't find it a little morbid, that he's still in there hosting it. Um, but yeah, it'll look at, uh, romance and then of course uh you know it might go through sci-fi and show off scenes from alien or the classic musicals and of course showing scenes from wizard of oz and there's extended clips in there too it's it's a really awesome pre-show uh it is so much better than just watching the old trailers from some of those movies in there before i really love what they've done with it um and they couldn't do it without that partnership. Um, and then they did a little other cute things with some of the displays uh, throughout the queue. So that that was on the theme park side of it. But then they also had the broadcast side of it. And that was that Disney would be opening up their vault to Turner Classic Movies to do special broadcasts every couple months. Um, and uh, they would be event broadcasts. Uh, during uh, certain points of the year. So it's basically been uh right around Christmas time and then usually in March, then sometime in the uh the June to July time frame and then again in the fall. And uh during these nights uh, the first one was originally hosted by Robert Osborne and uh I one of the other TCM guys but now Leonard Maltin um, who is potentially the 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 biggest disney fan out there mm-hmm. um just filled with a wealth of knowledge uh, of course we've talked about the um the old walt disney treasures dvd box sets before and he did introductions and history pieces on all of those and so now he's hosting it um and i'm assuming he's making some of the choices for it but they will just pull out some of the most Some of the most classic and memorable films um, from the library of all the Walt Disney features, including uh, restored animated shorts, um, the the classics like... Twenty thousand leagues under the sea, uh, so dear to my heart. But then also they'll go really deep and they'll pull out some of um, they'll, they'll pull out some of the stuff that was maybe even shot like in the seventies, eighties, and nineties, and just aired on TV like forgotten forgotten movies like uh, Mister uh which <laughs> oh, isn't <gosh>. super forgotten. <laughs> Halloween fans still always always love it, but um, like uh, Treasure of Treasure of Matacumbe, mm-hmm. which was film the the ending was filmed at walt disney world so they'll pull out stuff that you probably have never heard of and then even and throw in some episodes of uh the wonderful world of color walt disney presents uh disneyland all all those episodes and um You know, it's just—it's a great little block. It's always done around themes, and so, like, the first one was very Christmas-oriented. Then they had one that was uh, for—one for St. Patrick's Day, where, of course, they had to show— they had to show Darby O'Gill and the little people along with, I killed the, I captured the King of the leprechauns. Not I killed. That would be very dark. <laughs> be dark. Um, <laughs> but it, they just, they do it like that. And every, every single time there is an outline theme, uh, including, uh, this one that we're going to yep. talk about, which is very, uh, summer themed and horse themed, but, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's really great. Like I said, four times a year, it's, it, it, this is what I live for since the very first one. Um, it, there is some sort of magic about watching these movies at home on your television again. And um, it, there's also a very active Twitter community that loves when they do these broadcasts. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if you're not a fan of TCM in in general, they always have what they call TCM parties, which you, you use that hashtag. And everyone just kind of will talk about the movies as they're they're going along and really communicate, people do this with um, treasures from the Disney Vault, and it's it's a fun fun time. And you know, it, it starts at eight o'clock and runs all the way till about six a.m. So you know, you you have late nights, but it, it's totally worth it. It is it is an event. And that's why in
0: this bonus episode of Connecting with Walt, Craig and I are going to share some information about the June 2nd, 2017 Treasures from the Disney Fault Films and Shorts in the hope that it will increase your enjoyment and appreciation of these films. Now, we're not going to critique these films in this episode. We may do that in a later episode after you've had a chance to watch them. So there's not going to be, like, spoiler alerts, like, you know, somebody falls off a cliff and dies. Exactly. (laughs) Craig, did you want to run through the schedule so um, folks know what... They're going to be able to
1: see you on June second. Yeah, so uh, of course, June second. Depending on when you're listening to this, it could be uh, could be tomorrow night. It could be tonight. It could be a couple months back ago but um, at 8 o'clock p.m. you'll have summer magic from 1963 at 10 o'clock Pollyanna from uh, 1960 uh, at 12:30 a.m. Uh, moving into June 3rd we have Mickey's polo team one of the one of the great shorts from 1936 uh, at 12:45 you will have the horse with the flying tail uh, from 1960. Uh, 145. you can expect the Tattooed Police Horse from 1964. 2.45 will show Hacksaw from 1971. And then, wrapping up the night at 4.30 a.m., will be the Horse Without a Head from 1963. So, uh, a lot that I just have never seen. So, uh, I've seen, actually, I believe only two of them. I thought I saw Summer Magic, but then i was reading more about it i'm like i may have watched this as a kid but i don't i don't really remember it but i know i've seen pollyanna and mickey's polo team but uh, the rest one the horse section Mm -hmm. i'm completely flying blind on all those
0: (laughs) well what we're going to do is we're going to to begin our our summer romp through these films (laughs) um in the order that they've aired So, as Craig said, the evening begins at 8 p.m. with Summer Magic. And this stars Haley Mills as Nancy Carey, Burl Ives as Osh Popham, Dorothy McGuire as Margaret Carey, Eddie Hodges as Gilly Carey, Deborah Wally as Cousin Julia, and Jimmy Mathers as the beef, as the Peter Carey. <laughs> and yes, he is the little brother of Jerry Mathers, best known as Beaver Cleaver. And th- a lot of these are names that you'll be familiar with if you watch a lot of Disney live-action films, because people like um, Hayley Mills, Dorothy McGuire, uh, Oh, and even Burl Ives—they are—they were staples. Oh yeah, of, um, for Disney. Burl Ives did a number of of
1: Disney uh, albums. Yeah, no, um, and uh, you know, and you of course you've seen him in "So Dear to My Heart," mm-hmm. and uh, if you haven't seen him in that, and you haven't, and you still don't know who he is, go watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Yes, and then you'll understand.
0: <laughs> yes, you'll you'll definitely say, "Oh, that's him." Um, this. The film was directed by James Nielsen, and the associate producer is Ron Miller, who, of course, is the wife of the late Diane Disney Miller, yep. Walt's oldest daughter. Uh, the screenplay for this musical was written by author Sally Benson, and it is based on the book Mother Carrie's Chickens by Kate Douglas Wiggins. Now, what's interesting is sh- Sally Benson's stories inspired the
1: 1944 film Meet Me in St. Louis, which is yeah, one of I my did. favorites. I didn't know that. No, it, it's yeah. one of my favorites, too. Of yeah. course, you know, you have to watch it at Christmas time every year just so you get Judy Garland singing. Uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Yeah,
0: but there's a lot of, of songs that when you, when you watch this film and you hear those songs, you think, oh, it came from that film, because yeah. you'll know them. Uh, but, but you'll have no idea they came from that film. Now, Summer Magic tells the story of a destitute Boston widow and her three children. And through the machinations of her daughter Nancy, who's played by Haley Mills, the family moves to a magnificent Victorian mansion in the idyllic small town of Beulah in rural Maine. Now, Sally Benson originally wrote this script as a drama. And Walt, in his wisdom, took the script to his songwriters, Richard and Robert Sherman. And Richard Sherman retold that story. And he said, Walt decided he wanted to have a picture with songs. Um, So he gave us Sally Benson's script. And he said, look, I'm thinking of Burl Ives for this picture. And right away, we said, boy, does he sing. And Walt was thinking Ives would be Osh Popham, because as an actor, he's wonderful. But we knew him as a folk singer. He just has this wonderful, mellow, rich voice. So we were thrilled, and Walt thought we might be able to find a song for Burl to do. Now, the Sherman brothers proposed many songs for the film in several styles from ragtime to ballads, and Walt then agreed to make the film a semi-musical and included seven songs. Now The film was shot almost exclusively at the Walt Disney Studio in Burbank and some scenes at the Golden Oak Ranch, which is the Disney's film ranch. The exterior of the house was built on one of the studio berms, and most of the backgrounds were created by matte artists. Now, Summer Magic was the Sherman Brothers' first experience bringing a musical to the screen. And at the same time, they were working on the, the, the they were working on the development of another film for Walt. You might know it. It's called Mary Poppins. <laughs> and this film was released on July seventh, nineteen sixty three. It earned four million dollars at the box office, and its running time is one hundred minutes.
1: I, I'm very excited for this <laughs> one. Um, you know, I, I do love Haley Mills. Uh, whether we're talking Haley Mills in the next movie we're going to be discussing, or The Parent Trap, or uh, all the way up to the point that she was on Saved by the Bell for oh, us yes. 80s, 90s kids. Um, what was it?
0: Miss Bliss of
1: something. Yes. Yep. Something Miss Bliss. I yeah. forget what it is. Yeah, the, uh, the original title of it. Um, but. No, I, I'm really excited because I, I do know the songs from this movie. I know Ugly Bug Ball. That's mm-hmm. one of the bigger ones if you're a fan of Disney music. And um, uh, On the Front Porch, too, as well. Uh, beautiful Beulah. I, I know that from Disney Parks, hearing it okay. in there. And so it's uh, a lot of this movie is very iconic. And um, it. it It's definitely, I'm glad that they're leading off with this one. It feels like the perfect way to kind of kick us off into summer. Yes. This is one that I like to watch every summer. Oh, yeah? Because it's just, it's a nice
0: summer film. It it runs into the fall, Mm -hmm. so it's sort of nice. And uh, when we do our our review show, yes. I'll also talk about its presence in the parks, especially here at the Magic Kingdom and Walt
1: Disney World. Mm. Um, it it has a presence. I, I know. I know the Osh Popham. We learned that on our last tour of <laughs> right. uh, Main Street that it, we took last year for kind of uh, connecting with Walt.
0: Right <laughs> at the at the tenth anniversary of the Diz Unplugged podcast. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's another shop actually. Oh. And, and, of course, there are three songs that were part of the Main Street background music, uh-huh. Main Street USA background music, um, before it was redone. Yes. So, yeah. you, so a lot of people think that music was some sort of Victorian ragtime, you know, authentic, but it was actually from Summer Magic. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Now, after you've had a break to make more popcorn and get some malted milk balls, uh, the next feature is Pollyanna at 10 p.m., also starring Haley Mills as the title character. Uh, Again, a number of really big names at the time acted in this film. Jane Wyman was Aunt Polly. Uh, You might know her as the first wife of um, President Ronald Reagan. Um, Richard Egan as Dr. Edmund Chilton, Fans of uh, the nanny and the professor will especially know him. Uh, Cara Malden is Reverend Paul Ford. Streets of San Francisco fans, there you go. Um, Nancy Olson is is Nancy Furman. She went on to uh, perform in several Disney films. Agnes Moorhead as Mrs. Snow. Of course, she was uh, in Bewitched. Uh Uh And so, um, anyway, and Adolf Menjou was Mister Pendergrass again a great character actor. Um, this was his last film. Kevin Corcoran as Jimmy Bean. You might know him as Moochie. Yeah, <laughs> as in his. He was in many Disney films. And Retta Shaw as Tilly uh, Lagerlof. Of course, she was and went on to be one of the maids in Mary Poppins. Yeah. So quite a stable of of
1: actors in this film. Oh yeah, no, this is uh, in. It is the actors that truly do end up making this movie, and that's why. That's why when you talk about movies like Twenty Thousand Leagues, Swiss Family Robinson, Old Yeller, Pollyanna, should be one mm-hmm. of the ones you're discussing in that too, because it's, it, it could be a top five Disney mm-hmm. live action movie mm-hmm. overall. So I, I know I watched it many times growing up. This was a this was a favorite of my mom's. Mm-hmm. So. That's a good film. Um, David Swift wrote
0: the screenplay and directed the film, which is based on the novel by Eleanor H. Porter. And this tells the story of a young orphan girl who's forced to live with her aunt, who is a dominating force in the town. And Pollyanna's positive philosophy about life and a sunny attitude proves to be a power stronger than even her aunt, and it transforms the lives of the townsfolk. Now, Pollyanna was David Swift's first film, and he has very fond memories of the production. Walt loved the script and provided Swift with all the studio resources, including a $2.5 million budget. Keep in mind this this is 1960s. That's quite yeah. a bit. Oh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And told Swift he could hire any actors he wanted. And Swift recalled, Walt had purchased the rights to the Eleanor Porter novel that which was published in 1912, I believe. So he gave me the book and asked me what I thought. And I said I loved it. He said, "Well, do a treatment." So I went home and wrote a 60-page outline. It was like a condensation of what the picture was going to be, and it may be the best writing I've ever done since. It was just marvelous, and it was pretty much the picture that ended up on the screen, almost shot for shot. Walt loved it. He called me at home and said, Bud, I finished your story, and I had a little tear. I said, what you mean is you cried, right? Yes, I cried. I loved it. Let's make the movie. Does that mean it's a go-ahead on a screenplay? Yes. What do you think I'm talking about? <laughs> what, a, what a great interaction that was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wrote the screenplay, and he loved that also, but it was much too long. I said that we had to cut it. He said, no, I'll tell you when to cut it. Well, then we'd scream and yell at each other. So um, this was Haley Mills' second film. She had previously acted in a British film, Tiger Bay, with her actor father, John Mills, who would go on to star in Swiss Family Robinson yes, as the yeah. father. Yeah. Now both father and daughter were very nervous about Haley going solo. Jane Wyman said, "The funny thing about Haley is that she doesn't consciously try to steal scenes from other actors. She just can't help it." By all reports, this was an idyllic set. According to Swift, everyone was cooperative, happy, and punctual. Karl Malden was so dedicated to his role, he reported early for the film and spent almost three weeks rehearsing his part unpaid. Now, the film's exteriors were shot on the Disney Studios backlot, the Warner Brothers Studios backlot, and on location in Santa Rosa and the Napa Valley in Northern California. Many of the Victorian homes and railroad station in the film were filmed in the Santa Rosa area. So was the swimming hole seen in the beginning of the credits, which had to be refilled by local, the local fire department because it had run dry. Now, the house of Jane Wyman, who plays Aunt Polly, was the Santa Rosa home of Mrs. Gilliard Mac- MacDonald, and it was built in 1877, and it is a replica of the McDonalds' Natchez, Mississippi home built before the Civil War. And the real house is actually one story smaller than it appears in the film. So to make the house appear more imposing, as you'll see the character of Aunt Polly is, a matte artist, Peter Ellenshaw, added the extra story. Now, the sets for Pollyanna were dressed by Academy Award-winning set director, Emil Curie, whom we've talked about previously for mm-hmm. his work on the parks, and his son, um, costumes were created by Academy Award-winning designer Walter Plunkett, who designed the costumes for both Gone with the Wind and An American in Paris. So even uh, the behind-the-scenes production, yeah. you know, big names were were hired to put this film together. Now, the film also required 150 human extras, 30 sheep, 18 horses, and six crates of live chickens. <laughs> Now, fans of the film can still visit many of the locations used in this film. The McDonald Mansion still stands in Santa Rosa, but if you do decide to go on a visit to see Disney sites in Northern California, it is a private residence, so don't disturb the occupants, you know, just admire the home from outside. Um, The mill that Kevin Corcoran runs past in the film's opening credits is the Bale Grist Mill in St. Helena, and the train station is also in St. Helena. The town sets are still on the Warner Brothers backlot and are part of the Warner Brothers studio tour and the set is known as Midwest Street and if you have if it looks familiar to you when you watch this film it's because it's been used in many films including The Music Man yep yep it seems appropriate now i don't know if you knew this craig but you know most, i know you i'm sure you know most you know alfred hitchcock liked to make cameo appearances in his films yeah absolutely so but david swift liked to do the same so, look for him as the fireman who scolds Kevin Corcoran during the orphanage fire sequence. Oh, and David Swift's career um, was a screenplay itself. He started out at the Disney Studios as an office boy. I did not know either and of those. He, yeah, and, and he worked his way up. So, now... Pollyanna was released on May 19, 1960. Its running time is 134 minutes. It's one of the longest Disney films. Pollyanna's box office gross of $3,750,000 did fall short of the $6,000,000 goal. And Walt Disney thought he knew the reason. I think the picture would have done better with a different title – girls and
1: women went to it but men tended to stay away because it sounded sweet and sticky and i absolutely agree it's still the same battle that disney is fighting with today on uh you know not using the snow queen making it frozen Mm -hmm. not using rapunzel changing the name to tangled um and this is the exact same way this isn't you know, this isn't a movie exclusively for, uh, women and, and, children. Uh, this, this is a very, very good movie, um, overall. And like I've already said, it's, it's one of the best Disney live action movies. And, um, I hope this opens it up to a brand new audience that might not have caught it on DVD or, uh, any other home release, uh, throughout the nineties and two thousands. And, you know, since Blu-ray, it hasn't been released, so mm-hmm. this is a nice way to start getting it back out there. Yeah, yeah, I think folks will enjoy this film. Now, you will need
0: this next intermission to toss out all your uh, used tissue. So, uh, and um, because there, this you may may be teary-eyed at the end of Pollyanna, and head to the washroom and make some nachos for the upcoming. Animated short at 12.30 a.m., Mickey's Polo Team, which was released on June 4th, 1936, and directed by David Hand. Uh, This Mickey Mouse short reflects Walt Disney's love of the game of polo. And Mickey's Polo team of cartoon stars, Donald Duck, Goofy, and the Big Bad Wolf, takes on a team of Hollywood stars that includes Laurel and Hardy, Harpo Marx, and Charlie Chaplin.
1: Yeah, and of, of course, uh, you know all four of those names. If you don't recognize Laurel and Hardy, Harpo Marx, or Charlie Chaplin, these are all the basically the biggest of the silent film comedies uh, era. So you know you might know the Marx Brothers, not just Harpo, but um, it's these were <laughs> were the the famous comedians of the day. These are the biggest ones. It would you know it, it would be like the equivalent of i don't even know who's considered to be that famous (laughs) to these days like um you know putting jim carrey and maybe robin williams like like, yeah if robin williams was still alive putting jim carrey robin williams and uh, a couple other of the bigger names all in a room together and saying like okay these are going to be the all-star teams Mm -hmm. so uh huge huge names yeah
0: yeah. Now it's the car- Now there's a lot of caricatures in here. This was like Walt's second Hollywood-oriented um, f- short film, where there were a lot of um, he did caricatures of the big stars at the time. Yeah. So the characters you're going to see. Uh, the referee is Jack Holt. Um. The and I I'm not familiar with who Jack Holt is. Neither am I. No. But, but he looks very burly in the film (laughs) Um, the Mickey Mousers team is Mickey Mouse goofy as the goof big bad wolf Um, Donald Duck he rides a donkey in this for some reason of course Uh, the movie stars team includes Stan Laurel Oliver Hardy as we talked about Harpo Marx he's riding an ostrich Um, Charlie Chaplin is on the team. And now, there's a lot of spectators in here, so you want to keep an eye out for them. See how many you recognize. Shirley Temple, and she's seated with the three little pigs. Yeah, and,
1: you know, she should be easy to pick out. I... If you've been living under a rock for the last hundred years, then maybe you don't know who Shirley Temple is. But I think everyone knows who Shirley Temple yeah. is. She gave Walt the special Oscar for Snow White and the Seven Dwarves at the Academy Awards. Yeah. So you see her in that photo. That's
0: her. Charles Lawton, and he is an actor, of course, who's dressed as Henry the mm-hmm. Eighth, and which uh, he had starred in a, in a film, Henry the Eighth, at yes. the time that was very, very popular. Eddie Cantor. Who was a, a very popular singer and actor of the era, W. C. Fields? So again, a, a great comedian. Made a, a, a his running shtick was that he was always
1: drunk and hated children. Um, Harold Lloyd, we already mentioned. Yeah, he's a, another one of the silent film stars. That he he's also he's on the same level as Chaplin, Marx Brothers, Laurel and Hardy. He's just less recognized because uh his stuff wasn't as widely available um throughout the years in kind of the public domain as the rest of rest of uh those comedians mm-hmm. were i i think um i think the, the disney
0: short uh mickey's clock cleaners or something i think that was a parody of
1: of a, a very yes. famous harold lloyd exactly film. yes absolutely mm-hmm.
0: Greta Garbo, who was known for her beauty and, let's just say, great dramatic roles. Um, she's in there waving a pom-pom. Mm-hmm. Um, Edna Mae Oliver, a very, very um, well-known character actress. When it, If you see her, you realize, oh gosh, you saw her in a ton of films from the 30s and 40s. She's seated next to uh, Max Hare from the Disney short The Tortoise and the Hare. Um, Clark Gable. He's seated with a starch struck Clarabel cow. Um, Pluto is in there. Fifi, the peak, the Pekinese, who was in a number of the shorts. Um, two Easter bunnies from the funny little bunnies. The little wise hen from the wise little hen. The flying mouse and his mother from the flying mouse. Peter and Polly Penguin from Peculiar Penguins, King Midas and Goldie the Elf from The Golden Touch, Ambrose Puss the Cat and Dirty Bill the Dog Robber from The Robber Kitten, Cock Robin and Jenny Wren from Who Killed Cock Robin. And of course, those characters were also caricatures of, of big um. Hollywood stars at the time, most notably Jenny Wren, um, was a caricature of Mae West. Um, Will Rogers was also to have been portrayed in this short, but due to his death in a plane crash, his caricature was removed from the film. Um, all of these, all these little, sh- all of these other char- these characters I mentioned, these were all Disney shorts yeah. that had been released that
1: were um, very popular um, still at that era. So, any, any. it's a great short so it's been this one's been shown throughout the years um, Mm -hmm. many places and you know usually it is to to point out all of the caricatures of these these classic film stars, uh, j- just to to remind people that this is one of the things that was happening. These were the famous people of the day. So if you haven't seen this one, uh, you know you can watch it on YouTube. You can see it many places, mm-hmm. but I'm sure this is going to be this the way to see it the best way it looks because yeah. um, it, it'll be a restored version of it for sure. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, Mickey's Polo Team is the perfect introduction for the 1245 in the morning presentation of the Walt Disney Productions 1960 documentary, The Horse with the Flying Tail. And this film is about the Palomino horse nautical, who won the best, who won the team gold medal at the 1959 Pan American Games. And... This won the Academy Award for Best Documentary at the 33rd Academy Awards. And to tell you a little about who Nautical was, he was born in New Mexico in 1944 and was at one point owned and trained by a Colonel Anderson Norton and his daughter Sue Otherwise, the horse's history is mostly unknown. He bounced from place to place, home to home, but unlike the movie claims, it doesn't seem as if he had been abused. Nautical was officially registered as Peter de Oro, but was originally um, shown as Injun Joe. Um, Hugh Wiley became a member of the United States Aquarian Team, or USET, in 1950 as an alternate for the international shows held in the United States. And then ironically, in his um, first international level competition, he competed as a temporary member of Ireland's team. Apparently, some members of Ireland's team were injured, and they didn't have enough riders to compete. So the United States offered to loan a rider to Ireland and drew names to decide who competed. And he was one of the Americans competing, and Ireland ended up winning the competitions that year. In 1955, Hugh gets a phone call from the executive vice president of USET asking if he could compete with the team in Europe in a month. Hugh says yes and was told he'd need two horses to compete. At the time, he had one horse who was barely good enough to compete, though he didn't share that with the USET vice president. Hugh calls a friend for help finding a horse and is told to check out Nautical, um, still known as Injun Joe. Hugh had actually seen Nautical before, but thought he seemed like a difficult horse. And Nautical had won some shows, but not consistently. So Hugh went to see Nautical again at a show in Pennsylvania, but wasn't considering buying him. So after watching the horse in one class, he knew he had to get him. His jumps were unbelievable. He was described as a crowd pleaser, fun to watch, but tough to ride. In a few days, Nautical had a new home. At first, Hugh thought Nautical was completely nuts. He'd been told Nautical thrived on work, but when he worked him, the horse exploded if he saw a jump. On the ground, though, Nautical was gentle. Um, Hugh had two horses and headed to New Jersey to meet up with the coach, Bernie DeNemacy, and the team at a farm owned by Arthur McCashan. They arrived in New Jersey and Hugh thought Nautical would be the worst horse on the team. Once the coach wanted to watch the horses jump a water jump and a bank jump, Nautical refused both until McCashan stood behind him with a whip. And then he jumped so high, Hugh thought they'd never land. Though everything else that day did not go well, DeNemithy thought Nautical had potential. So over several months, all Nautical did was flat work. He became easier to handle, but was still unpredictable. He'd take off at a jump, ignoring the rider. So whilst training for the 1956 Olympics, uh, Nautical developed a sand crack on his left front hoof and the vet had to cut off most of the hoof so it'd heal. DeNemothy worked with Nautical once his hoof grew back enough, and things are working out. Nautical was finally settling down. A Nautical officially retired in 1960, Though so the official ceremony was held in 1961 at the National Horse Show. He was 17 when he officially retired. Tired. He competed some in late 1960, but when he fell, landing from a big jump, the decision was made to retire him. Uh, he passed away six years later. His retirement was spent just being a horse. He lived in the USET Training Center in New Jersey, then moved back to Hughes Farm in Maryland. He was around 23 when he passed away. So The Horse with the Flying Tail was released on December 21, 1960. Its running time is 48 minutes.
1: The story sounds fascinating and interesting. Uh, we'll see how it plays out in documentary form, though. Um, it it- You know, usually when you get to this point in time, it's starting to get late. After two long movies and a short, this might be one that you start to nod off during. But um, that's why you have to use a DVR for this. You (laughs) have to be able to go back and watch them if you you can't make it through. So, but, you know, Disney was great at making documentaries. So I'm sure this one's going to hold up just like the rest of them.
0: It won the Academy Award. But now you have the the real story of Nauticals. And then we can see in the documentary how um it was how dramatized it all yeah. yeah yeah now the equestrian theme continues at 145 with the 1964 disney featurette the tattooed police horse and this tells the story of jolly roger a well-bred trotter who likes to gallop he and another horse tartan are raised together now tartan learns easily and runs to win Roger is a bit nervous, and has a troubling habit of breaking into a gallop when startled by noises, crowds, or any other distraction. This habit disqualifies him from winning any trotting race. So he is championed by Pam Churchill, who owns and works him out, but after too many disqualifications, Roger is sold to his trainer, and Roger is soon running at county fairs and eventually sold at auction. So a Boston police captain with a good eye for horses purchases Roger and is able to work with him. All of the sounds of the city rattle the skittish Roger, but under the steadying hand of the captain, Roger soon becomes a top police horse. On duty at a special trotting race, Roger's blood is stirred by the sights and sounds of the track, and when an accident occurs, he doesn't gallop but trots to the rescue at full throttle with a surprised captain on his back. Roger is soon reunited with Pam Churchill, who identifies Roger as a racehorse by the tattoo inside his upper lip. And Pam realizes Roger is matured and ready to race. Now, the tattooed police horse was released on December 18th, 1964. Its running time is 48 minutes.
1: I'm excited for this one. I think it's gonna be. Uh, I think it's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah. So it just. It, it sounds like it's got that goofy classic Disney comedy side to it, but obviously there, there's going to be a little heart to it as well. Oh yeah. So I'm I'm very excited for it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to
0: this one as well. So now at two forty-five a.m., we move from theatrical releases to the 1971 telefilm hacksaw and this was originally broadcast on nbc as a two-part episode on the wonderful world of disney on september 26th and october 3rd 1971 and a telefilm was directed by larry landsberg and stars tab hunter as tim andrews and victor milan as cascade joe again two very well-known actors Mm -hmm. um in the day And basically, a girl goes on vacation to the mountains where she finds a wild horse named Hacksaw. With a little help from a modern cowboy, she captures the horse, and it doesn't take long until the man who helped her trains the horse to pull a harness. Now, since Hacksaw refuses to have anyone on his back, he then enters the horse in the Calgary Stampede Chuckwagon Race.
1: Yeah, I don't I don't know about this one either. This might be one that uh is better left in the vault. So some of these <laughs> some of these 70s uh Disney films that were made are very very rough. Um definitely the the growing pains of learning how to do things after Walt's passed away. And um and yeah, this I I'm going to put I'm going to stick through it I'm going to watch it all, but I I don't know if I'm looking forward to this one. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I
0: I don't know anything about this, uh, but um, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah. And now you can start thinking about what to have for breakfast <laughs> as the sun begins to peek over the horizon and welcome the brand new day at 4:30 a.m. with the telefilm "The Horse Without a Head." This was filmed on location in Paris and stars Jean-Pierre Amont as Police Inspector Sennet. When a kindly junk dealer takes a group of poor French children, he gives them a a headless toy horse, and the children name themselves the Knights of the Headless Horse, and this broken toy becomes their only source of fun, and the inspector's well-ordered existence is turned upside down by the children who delight in racing their headless toy horse up and down the streets of Paris. Now, villainous Herbert Lom, you might know him from the Pink Panther series, yeah. yeah, Yeah. 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 He decides to take advantage of the children's innocence by hiding a key in the headless horse. This is a key to a a deserted factory where he has hidden 10 million francs stolen from a safe deposit box in a Dijon bank. Now, this was released theatrically in Europe, and A Horse Without a Head was originally telecast in two parts on September ninth, 1963, and October 6th, 1963, as the third season opener of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color.
1: Yeah, I uh, this is another one I think. I think it's going to be a lot better mm-hmm. than it sounds on paper. I think it's going to... This this is going to be a good one uh, to stick through. Usually the the final ones, a show of the night, are uh, they have a little bit of humor to them. They might not be as well known, uh, but there's usually something there worth value to 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 get you through all the way to the to the final finish line on that. So I, I am looking forward to this one. I think it's it'll be a little bumbling and mm-hmm. just just silly, but. Uh, I, I, it, it has promise. It has a lot of promise. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this, and I saw the I watched a little
0: trailer that's on YouTube, and it, it looks very well done, yeah. very well filmed. It, it looks like they did. Uh, you, you 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 can see on the screen where the money went.
1: Yeah, those those on location films that Walt Disney has done. Uh, you know, when they were filming all the time in in uh, in England and other places throughout the the world they something about the looks when they go on like location they just they nail it it always looks beautiful
0: now if you miss any of these films or your dvr is too too full to record all of these many of these are available on home video uh, disney movies anywhere and even youtube uh, i i did use a couple of very good books as references for this bonus episode Walt Disney and Live Action, the Disney Studios live action features of the 1950s and 60s by John G. West. And we've already mentioned Leonard Malton. I used his book, The Disney Films. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a website uh, where I learned all about nautical um, Horse Nation, Horsing Around the World, The Secret History, The Fascinating Story of Nautical, a Palomino show jumper with a golden career. So. So, Craig, are you going to be um, staying up watching all these films?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I always DVR it um, just in case I can't be home. But if I'm home, I I stick through it all as mm-hmm. much as I can. Every now and then I'll nod off. Um, but, again, that's why I tape them, too, so that way I can go back and uh, watch any part that I may have missed. But like I said before, it's an event. It's really a a thing where there's a community who is all very excited about watching these movies watching the shorts and it's so it's something that if you if you do watch it later it's it's still fun still cool to catch up on these but as it happens you know it's just it's it's bigger than I think what they expected it to be and it's very special and I always tune in because. I don't want this to go away. Mm-hmm. And then we lose access to all these great movies, shorts, features. Uh, it's just, you know, there's, there's rumors that Disney and TCM may gonna, be on the outs was, with was each other. i ask
0: you about that because there's a rumor they're going to completely redo yeah. The Great Movie Ride.
1: Yeah, there, there is that rumor. And so I don't know the validity of it, but um, I'd be upset if that was the case and they don't, they don't show these anymore because TCM is the perfect channel Mm -hmm. um, to do that. I wish Disney channel was, but, that's just gone now um it's beyond disney does a great job of uh putting a lot of their classics now on youtube on demand and in other sites where you have to pay for all of these but so it, it's great to have them all piled in that just comes with your cable subscription uh for those of us who haven't cut the cord yet yes so uh, i i love it i will be tuning in um and if you see me on saturday I will also be like very out of it, <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, i I don't know if I'll get to watch
0: them because i'll be I'll still be here, yeah, yeah, and then I'm flying home the next day, but um i'll I'll definitely watch them in in various mediums so that we can talk about
1: them, absolutely, yeah.
0: So Now, we hope this very special bonus episode of Connecting with Walt will enhance your viewing, pleasure, and appreciation of these Disney films. And if you are at Walt Disney World for the 20th anniversary Mega Meet, please don't be shy about coming up and saying hello. Because even in our Connecting with Walt Meet, there were people standing on the fringes that didn't come up and say hello. And then they were sort of gone before... um,
1: I had a chance to, to yeah. talk to some of them. No, th- this goes for any time of the year. Anytime mm-hmm. you see us out there, don't be afraid to say hi. We mm-hmm. always appreciate it, meeting people who enjoy what we do, because we're doing it for you. <laughs> so. Absolutely, yeah. If you
0: see me at Disneyland or the Walt Disney Family Museum, um, we, we, I meet people just sometimes walking down the street yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, in my town. But, um, so, yeah, definitely say, say hello anytime you see us. And thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. And Craig and I look forward to seeing you in July with a new season of Connecting with Walt and at the D23 Expo almost right next door to Disneyland.